Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. It's my great honor and privilege to have as my conversation partner today, Dr. Michael Lindsay. He is the president of my alma mater, Taylor University. He's also the author of a recent book called Hinge Moments, Making the Most of Life's Transitions. Dr. Lindsay, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Great to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. So talk a little bit about the book. What was the what was the impetus? What was the backstory for this particular book at this particular moment in your journey? I had uh, spent 10 years of my life interviewing great leaders uh, across American society and had a chance to meet some amazing people, uh, former presidents Carter and Bush, cabinet secretaries like Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell, 250 of the CEOs of the largest companies, including 20 of the Fortune 100 CEOs, as well as presidents of Harvard, Stanford, uh, and a variety of other nonprofit organizations. And I was interested in understanding what made them tick and what could we learn from them along the way. As I studied their lives, I became convinced that so many of them had been extremely effective at making the most of significant changes that happened in their life, change and transition. And I was interested in studying it to say, how could I get better in my own journey? I originally wrote Hinge Moments to be a book for high school students and college students. I serve as a university president and I was looking for a great gift to give to uh, graduations each year. But in the end, while working on the book, it became a book that spoke to my own life in helping me make sense of change and transition uh, professionally along the way. That's amazing. So you've had your own, obviously, personal experience uh, vocationally in transition. You've seen students walk through transition. You've interviewed high-capacity leaders about transition. What thread and themes are you finding to be true across the board? What are some universal principles that you kind of pulled out of this journey? I think that, uh, you know, one of the key things is that um, we are always in the preparation phase for the, the next change happening in our life, whether we know it or not. And sometimes it's a matter of, you're not entirely sure, but the Lord sort of is calling you and directing you. And so you've got to be prepared for some of those opportunities. So I found that throughout my journey and as I studied those of other great leaders, you have to sort of pay attention to what I call in the book, a holy restlessness, this sense that maybe God is leading me to do something different than I was expecting and uh, trying to get ready for those opportunities. And I did find those happen throughout um, the lives of people I studied in my own journey as well. Michael, from your perspective, what's the difference between a, a God-ordained holy restlessness and maybe just a certain posture in life that's conflict-averse, or maybe somebody who just doesn't have a great threshold for discomfort? How do you, how do you discern that that very delicate difference? I think you have to be having a regular discipline in your life of being connected to God. Um, Psalm thirty-seven says, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." So I think if you have Uh, If you're regularly involved in a faith community that holds you accountable, worshiping on a regular basis, having an active prayer life, other spiritual disciplines in your life, I think you can rely more on your intuition as being guided by the Holy Spirit when you've got those kinds of checks on our life, uh, guardrails that are helping us to make the right kind of decisions. And everybody, you know, handles change differently. So what might be for you uh, a clear, compelling reason why you need to move or you and your family decide you're going to adopt a kid from Tanzania may for somebody else not be those same kinds of confirmations. God uses our unique backgrounds, our unique giftings, and the unique stimuli he allows to be in our lives to guide us. 
And I think that as we are uh, actively trying to turn our life over to God on a daily basis, I think God's honored in that. And it opens up doors of possibility for us down the road. Michael, as a parent, how do you help your kids understand that that everything is preparation, that that ever that everything that we do in any season, if we do it well, tease us up to thrive in the next season, whatever shape that might take? Well, I do think that helping the next generation to make sense of change. You know, the interesting thing that I found is that some changes happen to us by our own choosing. Uh, sure. We decide to go to a college or pursue a graduate degree, or we get married or decide we're going to have kids. And then some changes happen to us by no choosing of our own. You know, a loved one dies in a car accident, or we're diagnosed with a form of cancer. And these are all moments that we have to sort of respond to the change that wasn't by our own choosing, but God's allowed to come into our life. And I think helping our kids follow the process that we ourselves go through um, and the journey of prayer and deliberation and in some ways, anguish and pain all become crucibles that God uses in our life to make us into better people. In the book, I talk about how values and virtues can be strengthened and reinforced in these crucible moments that we experience. And so you have to, in some ways, come alongside your kids. So I have twin daughters that are 12. And so we're starting to tell them about challenges in real time. I don't have it all figured out. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with uh, this great challenge. We've had some health issues in our family and we've had to tell our kids, we're, we're not really sure what God's doing here and we don't have a great answer, but we want to follow God's leading and we want to be open to him. And I think in the process of that, we're helping to shape our kids to prepare them for their own hinge moments that they're going to encounter when they're having to stand on their own two feet. So your family recently went through a, a change. It brought you from the East Coast to, to the deep Midwest. How what how have some of these transition principles played out in real time for you and your family? So I was serving as a president of Gordon College in Boston, a wonderful Christian liberal arts university that I thought I would be at for the rest of my career. But I sensed over the course of a year, different promptings from God that um, maybe after serving 10 years in that role, he was calling me to do something different. And one actually occurred while writing this book. I was rereading all these 550 interviews that I had done. And I saw this interview that I had done with a guy named Bruce Kennedy, who had served as the CEO of Alaska Airlines. And while rereading the interview, I had long forgotten that he told me about his own sense of calling that he was supposed to step away from the CEO job after 10 years in the role. And the minute my eyes saw the words on the page, 10 years on the job, I got these butterflies in my stomach and I was processing my, with my wife, what was it about that? That made me nervous. And she said, well, you're on your 10 year anniversary at Gordon. And I think you're wondering, is God calling you to also be willing to step away? And I said, no, that's a crazy idea. I can't imagine it. But I would say that her comments were like a splinter that got underneath my skin. And I began thinking about it. And why was I unnerved by it? And partially it was that it was a sense of maybe I was losing control and I wasn't, you know, going to be able to control my destiny when in fact, part of the Christian life is really an act of surrender, a willingness to say, you know, God, I want to follow your, your calling on my life. And over the next six months or so through prayer, Bible study, and just occasional conversations with people, I began to become even more convinced 
that maybe the Lord was calling me to be willing to step away. There were a variety of both push and pull factors, I would say, that sort of contributed to that sense of holy restlessness. And so finally, my wife and I took a week out on Nantucket um, after Labor Day and walked and prayed. And we walked away from that, convinced that, in fact, this was to be my last year in the Gordon presidency. And I didn't have another job. I didn't have something else lined up. And in many ways, when I announced to the world that I was going to be leaving the Gordon presidency at the end of that academic year, it was a very unnerving, vulnerable experience for me. But I also think it was an act of obedience. Within weeks, different people began contacting us, and I began applying for different jobs, never knowing what would actually work out. We were blessed to have three opportunities uh, that materialized, and one of them was the opportunity to come and serve at Taylor. And I'd say, you know, it was probably the, of the three, it was the one that I thought was least likely among the options, because I thought we probably would move south, get closer to family. But in the end, it was absolutely the right place for us. And we received that confirmation through many different things, including a sleepless night where I wrestled with the Lord. And I think that the Lord used that to confirm my calling to Taylor. And we're so happy here. So I'm also living proof that the Lord can call you to a new opportunity can, that can end up being such a wonderful hinge moment. And my hope is that as people read the book, they'll see that God can call them to new opportunities that can change their life for the better. Michael, what do you say to people who took a leap of faith and they're confident that they are kind of swinging in the right direction, but they're not landing firmly on their feet? If it feels a little bit wobbly and there's that temptation to say, did I get my signals crossed or um, did God really say to do this or did we make a horrible mistake? What what has your research and experience taught you to, to say to people who find themselves in that spot? Well, I do say that uh, it's very natural for things to feel uneasy and for it to take, oftentimes it can take a year before you feel like you finally settled in, made some friends, gotten your routines and patterns. And so it's important for you to not make any big decisions. Uh, my wife and I, when we're doing couple counseling, uh, we will tell a couple that in the first three months after having a baby, you can make no major decisions. Don't change your hairstyle. Don't repaint your house. Don't decide that you're going to, you know, launch a new exercise routine. You're just in survival mode. Make no major decisions when you're that sleep deprived. And I say the same thing when you're moved to a new city or you start a new job, make no other decisions for three months. Just sort of let things settle down. And I think that in, in many ways, you'll begin to get your bearing and get settled. Now it's possible that uh, you make a move that's not the right move. And so, you know, nothing is, is uh, forever. You can make a move to go back. It's interesting in my research, you know, there was this huge wave of immigrants who moved from uh, Europe to the United States throughout the 19th century. And actually, if you track the patterns of the immigrants who came to the United States between 1870 and 1930, in that 60 year time frame a third of them actually returned home. So they moved here thinking that they were gonna be here forever, but actually a third of them went back home. Now, I don't know what you make of that. I'm not sure how we process big moves that in the end you decide maybe I, I needed to go back or make a different decision. But for two thirds of them, this was the right move and it was the right course of action. And I think if you're led by God, I think you have to, to lean into that and to trust it. So my main encouragement is make no sudden moves, be planted, follow the admonition of Jeremiah 29, settle down, 
um, plant gardens, uh, begin to sort of make a new life for yourself. And at the same time, no decision that you make is something you have to live with forever. And sometimes the Lord moves us to get us to a place of new appreciation for where we once were. And I, I think that can happen as well. So no sudden moves, follow the Lord's leading and uh, give, give yourself time, but also be open to the possibility that he may call you back to the place from which you came. That's great. Thank you so much for that perspective. So if we shift a little bit into your role as university president, this is the, this is your first, uh, no, sorry. This is, this is a first semester for a lot of new kids who are, who are choosing Taylor. They're adjusting to new environments, new friendships, new geographic context. What do you say to those parents who might be getting a call from a college student, whether they're in Upland or elsewhere, who are three weeks in there saying like, I feel homesick. I feel disoriented. Maybe it's time for me to transfer. What's, what's the collegiate version of the input that you just, just gave me about a, about a job change or is settle it the same? Down. Yeah. Settle down and give yourself some time, make no sudden moves, no sudden decisions. What we oftentimes say for college students is that it takes until Thanksgiving break for you to work out whatever differences you may have with your roommate, for you to find a few friends in class, maybe somebody who lives in your residence hall, that it, it's going to take a little bit of time before you're ready to make that adjustment. But I would say by Christmas, you should have a sense uh, if this is the right place or not. And nine times out of 10, it is the right place. And so we encourage people to make a way for themselves and to make those connections. I think mom and dad, one of the big things that we have to remember uh, when we send our kids off to university is that we've been a very active presence in their life. And now in many ways, um, we've sent them out and it's time for them to be able to fly with their own wings. And so the temptation to step in, to solve their problems or to give them too much direct advice, we have to resist that. We have to bite our tongues and we have to give our, our, our kids the chance for them to grow and develop on their own because oftentimes they'll come up with their own solution if given adequate time. And so we really encourage parents to come up with a couple of key questions that they wanna ask during Thanksgiving break. Tell me about your favorite professor. Uh, tell me about a few people that you've met that you really like, that you've made some connections. What's the thing you miss the most about home and what's the biggest struggle? And what's the best thing about your new environment, the new setting? The beautiful thing about the way that the American calendar works is that Thanksgiving's a chance to come home. You go back to university for a couple of weeks and then you can be home for Christmas break. So Thanksgiving is the perfect season for you to have those serious conversations. And also oftentimes the questions that mom and dad ask can really settle in the hearts of the college students so that they begin to think, okay, well, maybe I do need to find a good friend between now and Christmas. And they come back to campus and have sort of a renewed sense of energy and purpose that can also help them to get more settled even before that Christmas break. That's great. I love, I love that approach because it is a reminder that says, Hey, these aren't the, the challenges are real. Like they're not, they're not imagined. That's not, it's not that our students are, are lightweight or that they don't have the skills to handle these things. It's, it's a very real set of challenges. And at the same time to be able to say, you're not alone. This is normal. It's expected. Uh, we want to, we want to walk with you, but we don't want to solve for you. It, it, am I hearing that correct? Absolutely. All of those are very practical bits of advice that we've found empirically year after year in thousands after thousands of students that those kinds of simple steps really make the difference. 
So, Michael, not only have you kind of walked personal change, but now as as the leader of, of an institution in Christian higher ed, is, it feels like it's constantly in flux these days. What what is it like for you to be sitting in a seat where you're helping direct, manage and architect change and transition for for a, a storied institution like Taylor? Well, let me just say, you know, I'm a huge believer in Christian higher education. And um, I spent most of my career actually in secular higher education, did graduate work at Princeton and Oxford, then taught on the faculty at Rice. But I became convinced that the kind of moral formation and intentional community that you get on these campuses that are Christ-centered institutions, it's just second to none. And um, just, you know, this past weekend, um, we had the president's ball here on campus. So this is a chance for students to get dressed up and a tux or a formal gown and have a dance and some fun and fellowship. Rebecca, my wife and I went there, we danced, we hung out with the students. I'd say probably about half of the student body was there on a Saturday night. So it was a lot of fun and energy. And I said to my wife, there is nothing that happened here this evening that I would not want every parent in America to see. It was fun. It was wholesome. It was appropriate. But you know, sadly, that is not the case on most college campuses on the average Saturday night. Most college campuses are places where you really wanna just sort of somehow protect Christian students from having to deal with the coarser elements, whether it's um, sex or drugs or alcohol. I would just say I'm, I'm discouraged on the whole by what I see happening in American higher education, but I'm incredibly encouraged by what I see happening on campuses like Taylor. And so my encouragement is for more Christian families to actually consider Christ-centered institutions, because the kind of intentional mentoring, the great community, and the fun that our students can have is exactly what you want for your college students to be able to experience. In many ways, it's a throwback to a previous era where you could have a lot of fun, but not get into a lot of trouble, where you can celebrate, but not have your morals and your values questioned. And I think also that's the very best, the very best ecosystem that shapes the future trajectory of men and women who God calls up to leadership in their schools, in their communities, in their churches. And I think it's the best preparation for the kind of future they're gonna face. That's great. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Michael, any other just kind of closing thoughts or encouragement for people who, are, who might feel like they're kind of grinding through transition these days and, and need, need a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel? I hope that they'll go out and read uh, Hinge Moments. You can get it anywhere you buy books, and it's a, a helpful encouragement. I tell the story of about two dozen great leaders. Uh, as a closing example, Condoleezza Rice was a concert pianist who thought that she would have a career as a musician. She goes to the Van Cliburn competition as a young woman and realizes she's never going to be able to play this particular piece as well as another kid who played it. She had practiced it for a year. He practiced it for a few weeks. That was a hinge moment. And she decides that she's gonna pursue um, going off to university as a, at a much younger age. She finishes high school early, goes to the University of Denver. While there, she takes a class on the former uh, Soviet Union taught by a man who had emigrated from Eastern Europe. It ends up being inspiring, encourages her to actually pursue um, the Russian language. She pursues a PhD in international relations at Notre Dame. That particular professor becomes a mentor and encourager. He not only encourages her to pursue academic studies in international relations, but also to be open 
to be able to pursue a life in government. She gets a, a, a tenure track faculty position at Stanford, goes and serves on the National Security Council in the first Bush administration in the 1990s, and ends up being um, National Security Advisor and then Secretary of State for uh, President George W. Bush. The extraordinary thing is that that professor that she experienced in college was Professor Corbell, who not only influenced her life, but also another woman who ended up serving in um, uh, public service in international relations. This is the father of Madeleine Albright, who also was a woman who served as Secretary of State. One man who ended up mentoring and encouraging two different women who served as US Secretaries of State. An extraordinary story about how a hinge moment that happened in the life of Condoleezza Rice as a young woman changed her future career and also shaped the course of human history. You never know how God will use hinge moments in our lives to call us to a new place of service that could actually make a positive difference for the Lord as well as, well as for the common good. That's a brilliant story and a great reminder to be able to say we, we never know which hinge moment is waiting right around the corner. And if our eyes and our hearts and our ears are open, uh, we have an opportunity to step into an adventure that we might not fully understand uh, as, as we launch into it. So thank you so much for your time today, uh, Michael. Appreciate your insights. And again, encourage people to run out and pick up the book. It is called Hinge Moments, Making the Most of Life's Transitions by InterVarsity Press. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great day. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.